Faith Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Bubbles, and welcome back to the seventh Sunday after Epiphany for the week of February 20th, 2022, and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig into this 216th production of the Faith and Science Podcast, and I'm excited that here we are, we're in the end of Epiphany. Unfortunately, we won't have the eighth Sunday after Epiphany, which kind of wraps everything up. We have the Transfiguration next Sunday. And then we're moving very quickly into Lent. So it's kind of this a little bit, as it was talked about in Working Preacher, not quite the ending that we want in some of these different texts. And so I'd recommend kind of checking out some of the older podcasts with that. But I think it's also this week of we're getting into this transition and we're not going to be digging into this type of thing till after we're through the Easter season. So here we are in early Jesus's ministry. We have the transfiguration next week and then we move into Lent, which will then have a totally different stream of thought as we are moving toward Calvary. So this kind of this last teaching week, last week where we're seeing the light, last week where we're seeing the beginnings of Jesus's ministry and what that all means and entails for us. Us. And I think that's a important thing to be thinking about contemplating is how does that all tie together and just understanding a little bit of how these texts are all coming together. But let's look into the question that we had for last week. Have you considered nature being part of the Beatitudes? And if you haven't, how does that change your outlook of the Beatitudes? Last week we were talking with the Beatitudes out of Luke. Blessed are the poor in spirit for they will inherit the earth. And essentially talking about how those who hunger now will no longer thirst. But then also recognizing woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are well fed. And talking about it from that perspective and how we were talking about how as a human race, maybe we are a little bit more in the woe category of how we have just been absorbing everything and how God is kind of trying to use this idea of a cycle and how the cycles that we see around us, how the earth is replenished in that way. And I think it's something to kind of be and talking about and thinking about. And especially this week, we're going to get into some genetic stuff, which will be kind of fun to get into. But talking about how, again, these cycles of life, these cycles of things can directly affect how the world is perceived and how we're understanding the world. So let's just jump into it. The Old Testament reading, the first reading is from Genesis chapter 45, verses 3 to 11 and verse 15. This is kind of the conclusion or near the conclusion of the Joseph story. So if you don't know the Joseph story very well, let's see if I can do a quick summation of this. You have Jacob has 12 sons, two of which are with his wife, Rachel. He has four wives and Rachel is his favorite wife. She has both Joseph and Benjamin and Joseph is Jacob's favorite son and he gives him a special quote and Jacob has a little bit of a snooty style to him as he kind of talks about his to his brothers and you can tell is just looked upon a little bit more greater favor and starts having these visions and kind of trying to tell them and what God is working with him on. The brothers decide we need to get rid of him. They devise a plan to look like he killed them, but they really sold him into slavery. Jacob then goes and is in Egypt and is kind of with a high-ranking official and apparently was a very good-looking man that the official's wife really took a liking to him when he denied her forward advances. 
he then gets accused of raping her. So then thus he then gets thrown in prison. While in prison, he meets two different people. Uh, and in doing that, he predicts kind of from the dreams that they're talking about, one's going to die. One is going to be welcomed back into the leading and helping in the leadership in Egypt, was a servant within the royalty, and stated that he would remember Joseph. Well, it took nearly two years later. The king is having these weird dreams. Jacob it gets remembered. They bring him up. Jacob is able to interpret these dreams, and they essentially make him second command as he is predicting from these dreams that there is going to be seven years of really good harvest, and then seven years where it's going to be very difficult. Well, when they get to the seven years where it's really difficult, his own brothers start coming to him from the land of Cana. In doing that, he recognizes them, puts forth a couple different tests and trials, kind of checking on how are they interpreting now Benjamin since he's out of the situation and do they really still care for him? So he holds one of the brothers back, pretends to have one of the Benjamins steal something from him and how are the brothers reacting? Also kind of checking and seeing how the father is doing and is the father still alive? And that's where we get to this text. So a lot of backstory to kind of get into this. But Joseph is asking if the father is still alive and then kind of reveals to them. And I can see how it, it almost feels in a braggy way on how God has still done all of these things. All this different stuff that Joseph has gone through has been to still do God's glory and that God was placing him in a position to be able to help the tribe of Israel, which is basically just these 12, and this will become the 12 tribes of Israel from these descendants. And so from this, he then invites them to all come to Israel. And as we continue in the book of Genesis, it ends up being about 70 people then becoming slaves within Egypt, but that's further on. But it's essentially the story of him kind of revealing to his brothers that I am your brother, for one. I have set a table for you and I'm excited to have you guys back in my life and look at how God has blessed us, what you meant for evil. I've then been placed in this position of help. So let's continue on. The psalm this week is Psalm 37 verses 1 to 11 and 39 and 40. This continues this idea of how when we're trusting in God and realizing that God is going to fulfill the different things that we're needing and the different things on where God and the Holy Spirit within us is dwelling and steering us, that God will continue to help in that providing of that. But it means that we need to continue to lean into that, to trust in that, and to realize how in doing that, that's when we realize how God is breathing life into this. And that through that, we are able to recognize how God continues to help us through these different situations. The New Testament text is out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35 to 38 and 42 through 50. This will be the last week we're in 1 Corinthians for a little while. And Paul is continuing on this idea of how being raised to new life and what does that mean as we are chosen for this new body and talking about how there is both a physical body, but also a spiritual body and how they're not entirely the same and picking up in verse 45. 
Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, being a living being, the last man, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the physical, then the spiritual. The man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. So this idea, again, of how we have this physical body, but there is a spiritual body that is within this physical body, that that's where the resurrection of the body comes from, is the resurrection of this spiritual body as we then go to spend time in the kingdom of heaven. The gospel text this week is out of Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 38. We are picking up on the Sermon on the Plain where we left off last week. And I really enjoyed the point out from Working Preacher this week is starting right here in verse 27. But I say to you that listen, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. This idea of like, if what I just stated right before this, talking about Luke's Beatitudes, if that didn't scare you off, let me jump into some stuff that might even get you a little bit more like, ah. And so it's this idea, again, of love your enemies and the ones who hate you. Bless those who curse you. If someone strikes you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. If someone begs from you and takes away your goods from you, don't ask for them. So it's this beginnings of the golden rule start coming out of here, starting in verse 32. If you love those who love you, what credit is there to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is there? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those whom you hope to receive, what credit is there? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive much. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your father was merciful. So these foundational pieces of the beginnings of what do unto others as you would have them do unto you kind of gets that flavor as we are getting into this and talking about how we should be trying to go through and experiencing life together and not necessarily expecting things in return. So before we jump into how faith and science come together this week, we have to do our shameless plugs for Working Preacher. If you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it. Between their Sermon Brainways podcast, their commentaries, their discussions, since I'm not an ordained minister, I really enjoy being able to listen to three to different four different seminary professors talking through and working through these texts. In fact, this last week, I was able to actually have a five-minute conversation with Ralph Jacobson, one of the people who helps make their Working Preacher podcast, and it was a super awesome conversation. I was able to hear some of his other seminars that he had over the last weekend that I was at the extravaganza, and it's just super fun to be able to interact and connect and It was just genuine to get into that knowledge, and it was super fun to be able to interact with them. And the other part that I even mentioned to them that I really enjoy is the back catalog that they have, not only with their podcasts, but also with commentaries from other biblical scholars from all over the world. So if you haven't checked out workingpreacher.org, I'd highly recommend it. 
My second shameless plug is checking out the relectionary.library.vanderbilt.edu. I really like looking at the revised common lectionary over at Vanderbilt. I love how it's laid out. But the second part that I also really enjoy looking at is the art section. It's really fun to be able to see the different art throughout the different time periods and how different people are interpreting these texts. It's really helpful to potentially give you some different ideas and different perspectives on how these texts are coming alive. So if you haven't checked out the revised common lectionary coming from vanderbilt.edu, I'd highly recommend that also. Finally, if you haven't checked out The Chosen, I'd highly recommend it. The bits and pieces that I've seen and the little bits as I'm getting into it, I'm really enjoying. It's a unique and fresh take on looking at how Jesus' ministry and just seeing it come alive in a different way. So if you haven't checked out The Chosen, I'd highly recommend that. There's a lot to get in here this week. There's a lot to kind of discuss and kind of work through to be able to get to this point. But we also have to look at, I think, the Gospel text this week weaves the thread that runs through all of these, right? That this is what we're getting from Jesus is this idea of the humbleness of what Christ is about. That loving people who hate you, blessing those who curse you, praying for those who abuse you, this idea of constantly turning the other cheek as it literally states in the text and what does that actually do it means that we're going through and experiencing things together we're going through things together we're allowing a lot of diffusion within different situations because they're expecting a reaction and we're not reacting and thus we're able to experience life together and what i'm following this week as i was digging into some different things It confirms yet again, I feel, one of these places where there is more behind these texts than what it initially looks to be, and the science starts to back it up. So one of the things that you may have heard about before, and it's something that, especially with the area of the world that I'm in, is talking about historical trauma. And can trauma be passed from generation to generation? That's been one of the things that's been talked about is this generationality. Is there something that can be passed on in that way? And what we are noticing is that, yes, it can be. And it's in a different way than we initially think. So we need to talk a little bit about DNA first. So you have your DNA, the coding for your life, right? How your body hit based off of nature versus nurture along with all these different variables. But it's essentially the blueprint for who you are. This is the foundational pieces of what makes you, you. This is how we make Joe. This is how we make Sarah. This is how we make Jody. It's the foundational pieces so your body knows how to make you. One of the crazy things that is buried within that is how are these genes being expressed? Think of it like a light switch. When you walk into a room, most of us in the modern world flip on a light switch to provide light to the room. So now there is light in the room and the power is flowing through, thus creating light. When you leave, you turn off that switch. The power is still going 
to that switch so that when that switch is flipped that it can complete the circuit but it's shut off it's not completing the circuit so there's a lot of things within our genetic material that are there that are waiting to be turned on and there are plenty of things that are in our genetic sequencing that are turned on that can just as likely be turned off we see this also within the development of children right that through the process of life, there are different things that get turned on and turned off to be able to experience things like puberty, where you don't necessarily have a five-year-old going through that because those switches haven't been turned on. It's not the right time for these to be turned on. What we're noticing is that trauma can turn on or off things in a different way, and based off of then how those are lived out, that can leave lasting impressions for future generations. And so thus, this is actually carrying through generations. And even when you're passing your genetic material on, it's saying that this should be turned off or on, which can be different than what was initially intended. I hope that makes some sense. So these effects from trauma can then be passed generationally through. And in doing that, it makes for this dichotomy of, in a certain way, the person not being able to be the full person that they were designed to be because of these traumas that have turned on or off different things, making it difficult for them to be able to function in the way that they're designed to function, or thus making it maybe with certain triggers, making it easier or harder to do different things, right? So one of the examples that we've looked at throughout history is the people who went through the Holocaust. When you're looking at the next generation and the generation after, the chances of them getting the diagnosis of a PTSD or a post-traumatic stress disorder increase dramatically compared to a person whose history didn't go through the Holocaust. So that they were noticing that there's these things that are being carried throughout, making it then harder to do life. Or that it's easier to have something trigger something that whether the child or, or person realizes it or not is reacting based off of what has been taught or talked about or not talked about throughout a long period of time. I'll attach an article down below that I found really interesting that I had a coworker of mine show me on how therapists are using the new Disney Pixar film Encanto to be able to help kind of visualize some of these different things. And especially if you know it at all, of like the whole song, We Don't Talk About Bruno, like a historical trauma of something that is being passed generationally. And because that they're not talking about it, it means that each person has to interpret it and hold it in a different way, whether they fully realize it or not. And so thus, this can make it difficult for a person to be able to move through life in the way that they're being called to do that. So how does all of this tie to what Jesus is talking about and what we're seeing? Jesus is talking about turning the other cheek, that you are listening to your enemies, that you're loving them, 
To love someone means you have to be able to listen to them. You need to be able to hear what they're doing. You need to bless them when they curse you. Being able to hear the negative words but still finding things that you're praying for them, you're thinking about them, you're trying to lift them up from afar and noticing that your Heavenly Father and the Holy Spirit working through them is what you're needing. This idea of how we're all in this together, that there isn't this hierarchy, we're at, again, this is the Sermon on the Plain, we're all on this even plane together, that if I am trying to put myself in a position of power over someone else within my community, We're trying to work together so that we're all on this even plane to work together to be able to experience the love that God has meant for all of us. Joseph, I think in a lot of ways, yes, this can come off this whole text on him kind of talking about, look at what God has done for me. But I think it's also him trying to stomp out the generational trauma that his brothers could potentially going through. This idea of how What do the brothers think over this 10-year-plus period of we sold our brother off in the slavery and we convinced our dad that we killed him? And what does that actually mean for their faith life? What regret is that carrying on? How does that affect their interactions with their other siblings? How does that interact with their parenting and thus their kids being able to understand them as parents? Here is Joseph trying to say, this is over. God still took this and made something beautiful out of it, and I still love you. I still care about you. I have put that aside so that we can move forward. I've tried working through with God the generational trauma that I have, the hatred that I probably had of my brothers, and look what they did to me, to be able to get to a place of love. God refrains from anger for us because he loves us so much. This is the example that we're talking about. And I think Paul, even in the first Corinthians text, talks about it again, the difference between the spiritual body and the physical body and how the physical body can definitely hold that and want to wrestle with that and want to take that anger out, want to do something with that. Whereas the spiritual body is saying, we are trying to be on this even plane, working together as the body of Christ, realizing that we're all in this together and that means we need to let this go. And that's a difficult text because that also can lead to hard situations, right? It can lead us into places of forgiving an abuser when we probably need to leave the situation. And that's the hard part of this text also balancing that. But realizing in those moments of connecting with God at a deep enough level to be able to realize the best way for the healing to happen is I need to leave so that we can both be healed and be able to get to that level playing field. The example that I was hearing about and I know from experiencing somewhat is if you ever get the opportunity to go through the blanket exercise, it is an example of how it gives a white Caucasian like myself some perspective on the types of trauma that a lot of our native communities are carrying because of how my grandparents, great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents, how white Caucasians as coming over took advantage instead of trying to keep this level playing field and thus the damage that that has caused the native community in so many different ways. The generational trauma that gets triggered 
in so many ways. And in a lot of ways, it means that there's a lot of work that needs to be done on, especially me being a white male, listening in uncomfortable conversations. And my listening is loving. Me sitting there and not having answers. Me sitting there working through and trying to process what has happened, even if it isn't directly my bloodline to be able to help carry that trauma and help be there in that trauma and realizing and acknowledging that trauma is important. And I think that's where Jesus is kind of getting at a little bit here. Because if we're listening to our enemies, then we're carrying it together. If we're genuinely listening, if we're working on trying to still see the good in people instead of not just hating, to make sure that we're blessing the people that we just can't tolerate. We're praying for people who are continuing to knock us down, that that love of who we have been created to be shines forth. And it helps then stop the epigenetics, the above genetics, the switches and different things to maybe start flipping some of these switches in a different direction. So healing can happen because the love has entered the situation. I'd highly recommend checking out some of these different links. It is a fascinating field that is changing drastically and quickly as we are trying to figure a lot of this stuff out. Because yes, it works on a personal level, but also on a community level. And how do we work through these traumas that we can carry with us? How do we acknowledge that it's okay to be going through this stuff and realizing that in doing that, it might be a slap to the face for us in things that we have done that maybe we didn't recognize the pain that we caused. But what is that actually doing is providing life to the spiritual being, the spiritual self, as we are then on the plane together, as we are working through this together. As we are being the beings that God has created us to be, to be the body that God has created us as the church to be. And in doing that, we then can better understand who God created us, all of us, as individuals and as a corporate group to be. And it allows us to have that love to be able to share with our creator. This is the stuff that it's difficult to talk about. But we need to work through it. If we look even over the last few generations, there is different traumas that we all have faced. The question is, is has it affected us more than we realize? We've had Korea. We've had Vietnam. We had here in the States, 9-11. And the world now has had this pandemic. And with me working with younger people, I think there is going to be generational trauma from what has gone on with this. And if we aren't willing to talk about that and willing to go into these places and be loved together and mourn together, it can cause lasting impressions for them and their future generations, which hurts the body. Are we willing to talk about it? Are we willing to go to those uncomfortable places? Are we willing to turn the other cheek and be slapped across it? Are we willing to give up the coat on our back, the comfort, the blanket that makes us feel safe? in order for us to realize the damages and things that we've done. The question I have for you this week is, are you willing to put yourself in those uncomfortable positions 
for the betterment of the body? Are you willing to put yourself in those uncomfortable positions for the betterment of the body? Because when we're humbling ourselves that we're on this equal playing field and working together that we're near that place, that we're helping each other, being the body and what that looks like, that love that's radical, that's really hard to explain, we can have fun things that happen. And I think that's when the body works the best. But the sad part is, is how often we put these obstacles up, that we turn the other cheek, we turn the other way. We don't want to see it. We don't want to deal with it. And the problem is, is then it leaves lasting impressions both on us, but the other too. And then we call them the other instead of looking at us and seeing them as part of us. Jesus is trying to make a level playing field here that we all are part of the body together. That the person who judges is not us. And I think that's where we're going to wrap it up is reading verses 37 and 38 from the gospel text. Do not judge, for you will not be judged. Do not condemn, for you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given unto you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you give back. We together make something so much greater than what us as individuals can do. Because that's what the body is going for. That's what we're striving for, is to see and be the living body of Christ in the world today. So, we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.